0: Our second show of the preseason preview series today, we're looking at the ACC. Uh, In the last show, Mike and I, you know, we took a look at the AAC, a lot of the questions we had for teams going into the season. And this today, today, Mike, we've got a lot to look at in regards to the ACC, something that you and I had spoken about. Uh, there's some programs here in the ACC where uh, there's there's not a lot to talk about, but we're certainly going to probably skim over a few, but we're definitely going to uh, take a deep dive into some of these teams where some of them there are more than just a co- more than one question at each program in the ACC.
1: Yeah, I didn't think we would go an hour uh, in our previous show with the AAC, and now I was just kind of prepping the notes for the
0: ACC. We might go two hours, hope I mean potentially with this this group. Well, last you know, with the AAC, we did it a little differently. We just kind of went alphabetically, right down the list throughout the conference, and it, and it kind of balanced out the show a little bit. I think what we did this time is we took a look at some of the, the programs, and what we're going to do is, I think we're just going to kind of tease out some of the softballs first, and then and then save for the one uh, save the ones for the end where we have a lot of questions or maybe some difference of opinion between you and I in the way that we're we're seeing things going uh, into the summer, into preseason camp, and what we're looking for. So, man, let's just kind of jump into it because I feel like we've got a lot of teams to get through in regards to the ACC. Uh, I, I said we wouldn't start out alphabetically, but but here we are. We are going to start out with the BC Eagles, Mike, where you know John McNulty comes in, taking over as new offensive coordinator. He spent the last couple of seasons as a tight ends coach at Notre Dame. Phil Jakovic back at quarterback. Zay Flowers back at receiver. Pat Garwo back at running back but is anything really jumping out at you in regards to BC through some of the best ball drafts and some of the ADP data that we've looked at up until this point?
1: Uh, It's interesting that Zay Flowers to me is going lower than where he was going last year. Yet he's got his quarterback back in Phil, Phil So maybe it's the hesitation with the, uh, with the new coaching staff and the offensive coordinator, which it's a little bit of an unknown with John McNulty. I mean, last time he was an OC was at Rutgers, which, I mean, you could blame just Rutgers for, for, for those circumstances, but they, I don't, they averaged, I think, 13 points a game both seasons. So while it's a small sample size, it's not a very good sample size. So um, it's going to be, I think a slightly different offense. I think they're potentially going to open it up a little bit more. Um, which bodes well for Dracovic, assuming he's fully healthy and 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 Zay Flowers. Um, Zay Flowers has got some cleaning up to do, I think. You know, he's struggled with drops his entire career. So, um, but still interested in him, in him, big play threat. He's got an A dot over 15 every single year, I think, or two of the three, maybe. Um, so big explosive uh big play threat at receiver. I'm not really interested in Pat Garwo at all, like back end of your of your roster at running back. I mean, he only scored uh, 20 fantasy points once maybe last year. I, th- I think that. Um, and then he doesn't really catch passes, so he's not going to be a, a, a great PPR option anyways. I think maybe the guy that we're most interested in is tight end George Tackett, who had, from all accounts, a really good spring. So
0: what do you think? Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is that you and I talk a lot sometimes about depth chart problems and, and who's going to start where. The one thing we have with Boston College is depth chart, depth chart clarity, right? We know clear quarterback one, clear wide receiver one, clear tight end one they bring in from Notre Dame, and Pat Garwo, even though you're not interested, we have answers with BC, uh, which is what we can – you know, we can't say that about every program. Uh, and you're right, you know, maybe Flowers just isn't getting the attention – throughout the best ball drafts that we've had so far throughout the spring. And and you wonder if a little bit of that just has to do with the changing of the guard, the play calling and the offensive coordinator, but we do have clarity on the depth chart at Boston college, maybe not so much at Duke where there are a lot of questions and, and really one of the programs where we were like, man, do we really have to talk about Duke on the ACC show? (laughs) Right. And so, uh, you know, for me, Mike, and I'll start out with this one, um, I don't know, aside from Jordan Waters at running back, right? I don't know if there's anybody else that's really under the microscope and really, quite honestly, and and I think you would agree with this, Duke players just are not on the radar this season, at least up until this point.
1: No, not this season. I think it's going to be a year zero type situation. Um, I think 44% of the offensive production is back. They could potentially rotate quarterbacks this year. Um, I think the two that are vying for that job, Riley Leonard and um, uh, Jordan Moore, I think his name is, um, I think they have different skill sets, one more of a passer, one more of a runner, so they could use them both this year. Not even sure Jordan Waters is going to start at running back. They have Jalen Coleman. I think they have a highly touted three-star prospect, Terry Moore, uh, who's coming in who could potentially get some work. So I'm not even certain that Jordan Waters is going to start, and he's not the, the talent that you know, Mateo Durant was a year ago. So I, again, I, there's, I'm not interested in this. No, I think
0: we're basically talking about Duke so we don't ignore them uh, at this point. Right. I mean, they're basically just in the lineup. We put them in the two hole just so they're kind of like a little bit uh, forgotten. We didn't lead off with them and we're going to get right past them. Right. So
1: Uh, yeah, I'll add that their offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns, Top fifty in pace the last three seasons at, at Memphis, and Memphis did average thirty points a game uh, in in the seasons that he was the play caller. So I think this is an offense that we can look down the line. Yeah. Um, they should be able to pull in players, you know, with especially with NIL and you know that Duke, that Duke money.
0: So. Um, you know, maybe down the line, this might be an offense to invest in, but as of now, I'm still... Well, that was going to be my, my final point on them, was that we're not really investing any draft capital in them, but that's not to say that we're going to rule, rule out any, you know, mid-season waiver wire additions, if we can kind of see some things play out and, and, and transition into, in regards to playing out, let's, you know, spring, we thought, would create a little bit more clarity down at Georgia Tech, maybe at so much at, at the quarterback position with Jeff Sims, uh, what are your questions for Georgia Tech? Or uh, where are your eyes looking or concentrating on? What's under the microscope for you as we move into the preseason part for Georgia Tech? Kind of similar to Duke. I'm not investing
1: in this offense. I don't know how long this coaching staff personally is gonna gonna be around. Um, just I don't know. There's a lot of changes. Yep. They're losing most of their defensive starters. I think they bring back two defensive starters from from last year. Their defense sucked, which I guess if you're bringing back only two starters, maybe the only way to go is up at that point, but um, you know, they're changing the offensive coordinator again. Uh, I don't see Jeff Sims as, I think he'll get the start to start the year, but I think it's a matter of if or when, not if he gets replaced, at quarterback. Zach Gibson is really accurate when he was at uh, Akron completing 70% of his passes. I think he's a better fit in this system. So while Jeff Sims may get the nod week one, I don't see that lasting. So running back. I think you'll probably touch on it. It's just muddied. You know, we don't have that clarity that you mentioned at that charter running back. So yeah. Well, I know,
0: you know, with Jeff Sims, Jeff Sims has, you know, we talked about this yesterday with, with uh, John Rice Plumley over in the AAC show. He's got the, he's got the athleticism. He's got the talent, right? The question is, can they put it together? And also you're looking at a Georgia tech team who could struggle here throughout the ACC schedule. And, you know, the more they struggled, the more you might see, bouncing around, going from one quarterback to the other. You've got Dylan McDuffie, who they brought in after Jameer Gibbs transferred to Alabama. You know, McDuffie probably went from a potential top 15 fantasy back at Buffalo to now, you know, really not even being drafted or going in late rounds, particularly in full FBS leagues. Not really so much on our radar anymore down at Georgia Tech. Uh, And there's just not a whole lot to really look at. And I think everything really from a fantasy standpoint, if there's two players that we might be interested in, it would be Sims. It would be McDuffie, but you mentioned the inconsistencies with Sims. So he's, he's not really going much in any of our drafts and McDuffie, if anything, more of a late round flyer and probably more of a late round flyer in P five leagues only.
1: I will say one, just last note. Um, Of course, I always in podcast pick players to talk about that. I don't know how to say their names, just, for some random reason, but uh, PJ, PJ, PJ Harris uh, converted wide receiver to tight end. Um, I think he might start this year. Chip Long throws to his tight ends a bunch, averages around 30 receptions a season. So potential sleeper there. But other than that, I'm not interested in Georgia Tech this year.
0: What about over at Virginia Tech? Any interest there? Because this is another program changing of the guard, right? Uh, they bring in Grant Wells, quarterback from Marshall. Uh, you know, who played for Cramsey last year at Marshall. Now change of a system here at Virginia tech. We're really not sure what we're going to get from the Hokies this year. Uh, What, what about Virginia tech, Mike?
1: I was hoping to hear a lot more of Malachi Thomas in the spring, but you just, I think, I think he is going to come out as a starter. Um, He didn't do anything to hurt his standing in that, in that running back room, but you wanted to just kind of hear more out of spring reports uh, of a a sophomore quarterback kind of or sophomore running back, taking that second year jump. You just didn't really hear that. I do think he will start. I think it's going to be more ball controlled offense in this new uh, offensive scheme. Uh, The offensive coordinator came from uh, the NFL. He's got some NFL experience worked with Brent Pry at Penn state. So Malachi Thomas is the only one I'm really interested in here. Quarterback don't care. Wide receivers, maybe Jadon Blue's got, you know, he's got a resume, right, at Temple. Um, so maybe he can get, you know, 50, 60 receptions this year. But outside of Malachi Thomas, I'm steering clear again. Yeah,
0: we're, we're, we're together on that. They lose Tavion Robinson, who transferred to Kentucky, right? So they bring in Jadon Blue from, from Temple. Uh, we really don't know what we're going to get there. And, you know, you and I both mentioned we're interested in Malachi Thomas. A little bit more of an intriguing option because we not, we're not sure what we're going to get. And you just have a feeling the potential's there. Uh, but is it going to be really worth the risk to invest some draft capital? And that's where some of your draft league specs and how big your format in regards to conference specific or full FBS comes into play. But I'm with you. Malachi Thomas, really for me uh, and you, the only players as of interest you right don't, there.
1: Yeah. You don't have to spend just last note. You don't have to spend a lot of draft capital on Malachi Thomas. So that's the good news. Um, and if they use, kind of Thomas as they did those Penn state running backs back when pry and, and the OC were there. I mean, they use them in the passing game could be a decent option.
0: Now let's move over to Pitt, Mike, where there's tons of changes at quarterback. Obviously Keaton Slovis coming in from USC, but they lose Jordan Addison to USC. Um, you know, so now with Addison leaving, it's probably created more questions than we have answers now going into 2022. We know they brought in Kanata Mumpfield, from Akron, who you and I are sort of projecting, uh, you know, as that top wide out in that offense. Can Keaton Slovis kind of recapture that freshman season form? Um, what about the Panthers, man? What are you looking for, for, for from Pitt this offseason or going into 2022? Are you – you have any players, you know, that you're honing in on there? And, and I think Mumford – Mumfield is probably one for you. He's one. Probably not the guy. I think Gavin
1: Bartholomew actually yes. – benefits the most potentially um maybe not benefits most but he benefits definitely because you know when you lose the Bolitnikoff award winner you're not gonna it's not an apples to apples you're gonna replace him with somebody I don't think they have that guy so I think it's more gonna be a committee approach of Mumfield and 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 some of the other receivers and Gavin Bartholomew who the new uh, OC Uh, Frank Zignetti from uh, from Boston College loved to feed his tight ends of course Uh, Hunter Long et cetera, from uh, the Eagles Uh, I think they had like 122 total targets to the tight end one over two years so I think Gavin Bartholomew is he's a top 10 tight end for me I think he's going to get fed the ball here along with Mumfield and some of the other receivers so
0: yeah, I think from a value standpoint, he may be number one on our list on the pit roster going into the 2022 season in regards to value per position. And I know you and I talk about all the time, sometimes injuries and transfers can kind of level some things out on the depth chart. And that's the problem at running back too, where we've got Ibonaconda as their highest rating running back. But there's a lot of depth there. And I'm not sure we're really going to get a workhorse back in the pit backfield.
1: I agree. I think they just got different skill sets where, you know, Abanaconda is kind of that in between the twenties and then you bring in Rodney Hammond, who's kind of just the finisher, right? The closer, he'll he'll put it into the end zone. But I was looking at this earlier. They, they bring back all five starters Pitt does along the offensive line. And then Abanaconda only got 10 carries a game last year where uh, you know, as we talked about earlier with Pat Garwell, that was 17 carries a game he got last year. So I think we could see an uptick, in uh, Abanaconda's workload. I haven't been taking them, but you know maybe he's a late round option.
0: Now we start to transition, Mike, into some more into the programs where we're seeing a lot more draft capital invested as we move into some of these other schools we have on the list. Let's start with the Wolfpack, NC State. Devin Leary coming off of a big year there. Um, you know, in regards to running backs, I think last year, you didn't really, you know, we would, I think we thought we'd, there'd be more production coming from the running back position, but it seems like they're going to really put a lot of faith in Devin Leary. And what does that mean for you moving into 2022? Much of the same this year? Uh,
1: I think so. Um, I mean, they get, they get four starters back along the offensive line. They do lose the top 10 pick. Uh, from the NFL draft this past year, but it, I I mentioned this in the guide. It was really confusing how NC State ranked 35th in line yards, yet they were 96th in rushing explosiveness last year. So something just didn't correlate. And I think you remember last year, a lot of people were super high on Bam Knight, thinking that this guy could be a a, a possible you know top 30 fantasy running back and a possible uh, NFL draft pick. I don't, I don't recall him getting drafted, but things just didn't work out. And I'm wondering, you know, with with how the offensive line performed and and the lack of explosiveness, if the running backs were an issue. Um, so, and and we'll see. I mean, Jordan Houston looked pretty good in the spring game, um, but NC State typically rotates back, so I'm not really, you know, I I, I don't have a ton of interest there. I think. As you'll as you'll talk about, it's it's definitely with the passing game with
0: the. Yeah, no doubt. I think you know with Leary throwing thirty plus touchdowns last year, there's potential to do that again, right? And so if you've got a quarterback that can go for thirty plus, I think some of the attention then goes to the receivers, right? You've got Thayer Thomas coming back at NC State. Uh, You know, is there a clear cut wide receiver two there? Is it is it more Carter? Um, you know, I, I think from a from a fantasy investment standpoint, and you and I talked about this, right? Devin Leary doesn't really offer that running threat that you'd like to have, but in best ball formats, Leary is actually a really solid option down the line with the value at where you're getting him because his potential to maybe have some three hundred plus three hundred plus yard games, three or four touchdown games, right? So I think from a value standpoint in best ball, Leary, there's a lot of value there. And you know that if he's going to throw for that many yards and 30 plus touchdowns, there has to be some value at receiver in this offense.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And but I'd also say that I think Leary, I would prefer Leary in a standard redraft over best ball. I don't have the number in front of me right now, but. I, I mean, I think but you think was, more
0: consistency than than anything.
1: It was the consistency. I mean, you remember last year he was throwing for two. He threw two touchdowns, and I I would guess over two thirds of the games last year. Again, I don't have that right in front of me, but just the consistency that it provided. I like him better for for redrafts over the- probably in two quarterback leagues, though. Yeah, I, I, I yes, in two quarterback leagues, I I take them in any in any one or yeah. two it doesn't matter for me.
0: What about Florida State, Mike? Let's transition down to Tallahassee. Um, you know, we're talking about a quarterback in Debbie, Devin Leary that's more of a of a pass only. And are we going to see um, Jordan Travis kind of go to another level this year that he has the job all to himself? Because for me – um, that's you know. I'll let you start this one off. This is your guy. This, yeah. I mean, look. Last year, I mentioned. Look, I thought the stars were aligned for Emory Jones. Had he come out of the gate at Florida, given that schedule, and I, you know, I did take Emory Jones in all the drafts. I mean, look, if Emory Jones hits, it would have been a great pick, right? But it didn't, and and that's what you you live and die sometimes with your drafts. Jordan Travis is one of those guys for me. He might be my Emory Jones of this year. I've got him in my first two best ball drafts. I'm getting him ahead of the spots where where some of the best ball drafts I've seen, you've been where his ADP goes. I really like the guy. He was some, this was a player that you and I projected out and we looked at his projections and said, damn, we really can't rank him that high. Can we look where his projections are coming out? But he's a guy that projected really high compared to where we ranked him. And I like that value. If he sticks in this offense. I had, it, it,
1: we're, we're referencing our previous best balls. I, I had no issue. I had plenty of shares with Jordan Travis, right? Uh, averaged what? 22 points a game, something around that last year or let's see 27 points per game. Excuse me. 27 points per game over the last seven weeks. Uh, Top 20 fantasy points, you know, over half the season. So I like Jordan Travis. My issue with where is where you drafted him personally is I thought you could get him in a few rounds later, but I, I have plenty of shares. What I like about Jordan Travis this year is the fact that he doesn't have a Mackenzie Milton behind him that you might see a, yeah. you know, a two quarterback, you know, with the split. Um, the, the, I think it's a true freshman potentially behind him or a redshirt freshman. It's It's Jordan Travis's job this year. So I do like that.
0: Got to stay healthy. He's got that slim frame. So, Mike, you know I'm the Elon Musk of college fantasy football. I'm just here to drive share. I'm just here to drive up his share, Mike. That's why I'm taking him a lot earlier. Yeah, thank you for driving up all that Emory Jones shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, it, hey, it is what it you is. Some, look, you look. Sometimes you know you read the tea leaves. You know, we talk about this all the time. Sometimes you strategically strap You know, you 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 look at the schedule. You look at the potential of the player. And you've got to make the call, right? And sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Um, I remember back in the days with Lamar Jackson, I was I was really on him before he broke out. I actually missed. I remember missing on the days. Um, who was that damn Notre Dame quarterback that just never did work out? Ian I can't Book? remember. What's that? Not Ian Book. Ian Book? No, no, no. Before him, I can't even. Kaiser
1: Deshaun Kaiser.
0: I don't remember. It was hey, you didn't. You at
1: least he didn't rank Spencer Sanders in the top five.
0: Yeah, look, we all, well, we all, we all have the, our Spencer Sanders and our Emory Jones. That's what makes it fun, though, man. If we didn't look, we, you and I never claim to hit all the time, right? We miss just as nobody many does. Well, some
1: some people in this industry claim to think that they hit all the time after the season. They ah, play.
0: We're only human. The only thing we try to do is give them insight to try to help them make decisions. If I drive up the Jordan, the Jordan Travis stock, then so be it. I'm on the Jordan Travis train, man. So, um. Let's go over to Wake Forest, where you've got one of the best offenses coming back, and a lot of pieces are back as well, starting with Sam Hartman at quarterback, A.T. Perry at receiver, you know, arguably one of the top three receivers I think we have in, in both of our rankings. Hartman, you know, uh, I'm going to address this now. There might be a little questions in regards to rankings and projections, the projections that we do, on the site do not incorporate interceptions some leagues minus points for interceptions so you don't really see Hartman even though he's projected as somewhere around the top three he's more ranked around the five or six number and I think both of our uh, rankings but man there's nothing not to like about this Wake Forest offense and for me and this was something that you and I have discussed the big question for a team that's going to throw the ball as much as Wake Forest is not necessarily Hartman. It's not necessarily A.T. Perry. But there's going to be a valuable wide receiver, too, in this offense, whether it's Taylor Moore and where, whether it's Donovan Green. Could it be Keyshawn Williams, right? There's a little bit of uncertainty around that wide receiver, too, right now, where we know there's going to be tremendous value given the history of this offense.
1: Yeah, I noted it in the guide. Um, and, and it was interesting because, and, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying this, I'm a huge Donovan Green fan, I have, I have multiple shares of his uh, in some of my dynasty leagues, but if you just look back, since 2016, the slot receiver at Wake Forest has been either the wide receiver one or wide receiver two in every single year, okay, A.T. Perry, cemented in stone wide receiver one. If the the trend holds, and we know with college fantasy football, trend doesn't always hold, but percentages would say that the wide receiver two is going to be the uh, slot receiver in this offense. Taylor Morin, the likely candidate to step into that Jaquari Roberson slot receiver role, 112 vacated targets. The only hesitation there is that Keyshawn Williams, a sophomore, is also very good, going to get some time in the slot. So you know, you say a wide, there's going to be multiple wide, uh, valuable wide receivers in this offense, and I, I think that will be the case. Do we see, you know, a, a Perry and Roberson type where it's a solidified wide receiver one, solidified wide receiver two, and some separation? Or is it just kind of Perry and everybody else is just getting 40, 50 catches and, and just a guessing game between the between that group, you know?
0: What about over at? Let's go to Clemson, Mike. This is this is going to be uh, really a hot button topic too, because you and I talked about all the time. You know, DJU at quarterback last year, arguably one of the busts of the 2021 season. Um, is 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 he going? You know, thoughts. Is he going to make it through the 2022 season as a starting quarterback? You think, or or you think the young guy? Um was it Cade Clubnick coming in think he takes the job what, what what's your feeling on this
1: I think two things if the spring game is any indication Cade Clubnick's going to start this year I think DJU in my personal opinion looked like the exact same quarterback um a lot of overthrows a lot of inaccuracy um now granted spring game can't wait to take away you know can't can't cement all your opinions based on spring games. You know, you get in trouble doing that. But, and he faced the Clemson defense, the defensive line just mauled that offensive line during the spring game. So you you, you give a little leeway to DJU there. But, you know, I thought Cade Klublick looked right on par with DJU during the spring game. Um, and I think we'll find out very quickly if you look at that schedule, Georgia Tech on the road week one. I think me and you both agreed if DJU doesn't perform well that game, I think you're going to see both of them that following week. And if Club Nick outshines DJU, then I think he's getting the hook.
0: It's something that you and I talked about because what we look at sometimes, and I know I do, is the schedule part of, of how that plays in, particularly with a young quarterback. And that road game at Georgia Tech could be very telling because if DJU struggles or if Club Nick is able to get some playing time in that game and looks good. They've got Furman right on deck and Louisiana Tech, two games that fit perfectly in the schedule to kind of develop a young quarterback before they head into conference play. And so I'm I'm just as concerned with you. I have been staying away from DJU. You and I have projected him quarterback one, but I have to tell you, man, it's a slippery slope. And uh, I think, you know, you would probably agree if you're drafting dju uh in best ball formats handcuff. might be better might be wise to handcuff them with with club Nick later on in the draft right yeah absolutely
1: i i think that you're going to find out within the first three weeks how this is going to go and you know clemson's not a, a school these days that where i think you get a ton of leeway especially after the year they had last year they're going to be calling for club Nick if, if DJU struggles that
0: opening yeah. And I, I don't want to pass over Clemson real quick too, without mentioning that both you and I feel that running back Will Shipley are going to, he's going to get a heavier workload this year, which is, you know, sort of justifies where we have him justifies our ranking of him. Um, right. I mean, we feel like we're, we're going to get a heavier dose of Will Shipley this year and that Clemson backfield, which is why we have him ranked highly this year.
1: Yeah, I don't, it's weird. I don't, I've been avoiding, not avoiding, but I just I don't see myself going up and I've done what 20, 30 drafts at this point this off season. I don't think I have one share of Will Shipley. Um it's not to say I don't like the player, but I, I you know, Kobe Pace was was a rock solid running back two last year and Phil Mafa was the talk of the spring uh with Clemson running back. So I don't it's something just weary about that Clemson backfield that I think potentially they could split it up a little bit but Yeah. As of now, we'll simply run back one
0: there. Well, let's head down to Coral Gables, Mike. Miami's there. Josh Gaddis comes in as offensive coordinator from Michigan. I think the big question that everybody has is, is, are, you know, are his shackles off or did Harbaugh have him shackled up at Michigan? Are we going to see a little bit more of an open offense? We know what they have in Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. They like what they have in Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. So, uh, what are you looking for from Miami this offseason as we go into 2022's preseason?
1: I'm mostly interested in the backfield. Um, you know Gaddis at Michigan, you can debate whether or not he was the he had the shackles on him with regards to the play calling. He he developed into a in, into that role. The longer he was there in Ann Arbor so I mean he was it was it was his offense I believe especially that last year where where Harbaugh wasn't looking over his shoulders and and I think what Gaddis does best with the offense is and, and this is kind of just basic coach speak but he, he tailors the scheme to his personnel right and, and he puts his players in the best position to succeed yada yada you know that's standard coach speak but I think Gattis does a really good job of that. And he looks at, the, and you look at the Miami personnel, offensive line should be, should be decent. I think, you know, you saw some different running uh, schemes uh, or run blocking schemes in the spring game that that looked better than years past. And, and they got a deep stable of running backs, right? Jalen Knighton looks explosive last year. I don't think he's big enough to shoulder the, you know, 200 carries there. So probably going to split it up with Henry Parrish. I'm mostly interested to see Trevante Citizen, uh, the true freshman running back who, who's, you know, some quotes of that program, you know, just reading articles, call him the best running back prospect in the last 20 years. And he's the most well-rounded of that group, uh, I believe, once he steps on campus. He wasn't there in the spring, but I think you just kind of read the articles around that, and eventually people think that he's going to take over that job at some point uh, full-time and and then utilize Parrish and Knighton as kind of the scatbacks backs that they really are. So, you know, keep in mind Trevante citizen as maybe a, a second half flyer on the, on the waivers.
0: Yeah, that's a, that, you know, that's a good point. Something you and I had spoken about because I know we've, we've taken a couple of questions as well in regards to Jalen Knighton's ranking, right? I mean, considering how he played last year after missing the first four games, you would, you know, conventional wisdom would think we would have him draft you know, ranked higher going into this season, but you mentioned Parrish coming over from Ole Miss. You've got Citizen coming in who is a more complete bigger back as well. And so you just wonder, you know, Knighton fits in, he fits within a role and you worried about, you know, his limited uh, ability in regards to not being able to be a workhorse back. You worry about his size in that regards. And so you do have a deep backfield. And so I do think, it is worth mentioning that's why a player like Jalen Knight, while being explosive, isn't necessarily ranked as high as where I think some people were expecting him to land when we dropped that preseason fantasy draft guide.
1: Yeah, just to close the loop on Miami. Um, not, I, 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 I'm confident, you know, Tyler Van Dyke's the top 30 fantasy quarterback this year. I know there's some hesitation with offensive play callers, some of the unknowns there. I think the bigger concern is wide receiver. They were heavy in the portal looking at Jalen Robinson. I think they threw the bag potentially at Jordan Addison, and he obviously went elsewhere. They've been looking at wide receivers, they haven't been able to get one. Um, so maybe you see more tight end usage. They got two good ones in Will Mallory and um, Elijah Arroyo. Uh, Gaddis used his tight ends plenty at, at, at Michigan. So I think you could potentially see 20 plus uh, receptions for both those yeah. guys.
0: You know, that's a good point. And, and something that I think is worth mentioning as well. I think you and I have ranked Tyler Van Dyke a little higher. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, he's ranked a little higher than where his projections played out. Uh, so if we're going to mention one way in regards to Jordan Travis, how, you know, he projected higher than where we had him ranked. Tyler Van Dyke on the flip side of that coin, we rank a little higher than his projection. And that just speaks to the upside that he has. at and consistency
1: consistency he threw uh last six games i think he threw for 316 yards or more it's just it's consistency that bumps up quarterbacks and or you know players in general in our rankings
0: but let's go you know there's a lot of clarity there at quarterback at miami mike but not much so at chapel hill north carolina uh this one you know as we get into the last four programs here um we can spend a a few minutes here because there's you know josh downs comes back at unc there's questions maybe, you know, in the backfield, possibly, uh, but there's definitely questions at quarterback um, where, you know, you've got May, you've got Chriswell. We can go either way here. Um, this is something that you and I have talked about quite a bit, and I've even raised questions on whether or not I'm even on the right side of the coin in the Drake May, Jacoby, Criswell uh, quarterback conversation. Where, where are you landing right now? Yeah,
1: I think the easy answer is Drake May. And I know, you know, I, I see people online that are North Carolina fans that also kind of make the argument for Drake May. But, you know, watching the spring game, I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that Drake May outperformed Chriswell. And I, I think it was the exact opposite. I liked what I saw from Chriswell. He's getting a lot of pub uh, in the spring. I think he struggled, maybe not struggled, is the right word, but. I think he was lacking in, in some of the, in maybe a leadership department or maybe he was just wasn't as vocal, um, in the QB room or with the offense in general. And I think you kind of hear, I've seen quotes from Josh Downs that say he's improved in that, uh, facets, um, Bill Longo, the offensive coordinator said Jacoby Criswell's got one of the strongest arms he's ever had at, at quarterback. So it's not to say that Drake may played poorly. I just, I liked what. well, what he looked like during the spring game and and I think you just it's a 50-50 split at this point I think you have to handcuff if you're drafting one of the two and I think there's a real I haven't been drafting them I think there's a real possibility especially in that first month we could see both quarterbacks so yeah
0: you know it's interesting because you know again we're going to reference the schedule where UNC opens up against Florida A&M but You know, what really could determine the, the, you know, the outcome of this quarterback battle ironically could be the following two games when North Carolina, they don't play in conference. They actually play two Sunbelt opponents. They play at Appalachian state and at Georgia state. And, you know, I I was telling somebody this not that long ago, those are two tricky games for North Carolina, uh, not, not being settled at quarterback. I, you know, Appalachian state, And Georgia State are going to be two programs that are going to be ready for them to come at them. And, you know, I'm wondering that Florida A&M, Appalachian State game, Georgia State, and then they go, they're off before they get Notre Dame at home. And I'm just wondering if we're really even going to see any clarity at, at quarterback until we're two, three games into the season here. That, you know, we made the call on Chriswell, and a lot of it, you know, had to do with what, you know, the observations that we made. There's a lot of people calling for May. I think it could be back and forth, but to that point, that's the reason why neither UNC quarterback is ranked within our top 40 going into the summer.
1: Yeah, somebody posed a good question on Twitter. It's like, I mean, you had Sam Howell top five at some point. You have Bill Longo quarterbacks ranked in the top 20 consistently, yet, you you know, you have... May or Well down in the forties, fifties, you know, why is that? And I think it's exactly that, that we are probably going to see two quarterbacks in the first game, potentially the second game, potentially the third game. So
0: I mean, that decreases value right there. Yeah. You and I meant to talk about this a lot. And, and I know it's been something that I've mentioned to you and and I'm getting a little ahead of myself with, with another uh, conference that we're going to be talking about, but the, I mentioned it to you the UNC and the LSU quarterback battles for me were positions going into drafts right now. That if you're drafting one, you almost have to draft two. And I feel like that with Chriswell and May right now, uh, you know, if you're if, in any of our best ball drafts, if someone's drafting May and not drafting Chriswell, I feel like it's a mistake. And if they're doing the other way, I feel like it's a mistake. I almost feel like at this particular stage right now, it's a two for one, it's a two, for, it's a package deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say you have to pair them in best ball where we're doing no transactions, right? If you pick one, potentially you could pick it up on the waiver wire that, you know, when the season's happening. But for best ball, definitely have to hand count.
0: Well, look, we're going to go to another program with questions. Mike, UVA, where Brock and Mendo- Mendenhall retired. Robert Aene leaves. Uh, so they bring in Des Kitchen at, at, at Virginia. The talk is that they'd like to be balanced. You and I watched the spring game. The run game didn't look any better. The way the roster's set up, it's still geared towards the talent is in the passing attack with the returning players that they have coming back with Wicks and Thompson and Kemp and Armstrong. Uh, but there is some hesitation with UVA. Yet we have Brennan Armstrong ranked high again. So let's talk. Let's spend a couple of minutes on UVA. Your take there and what you're looking at.
1: You mentioned the running game didn't look good. Well, the passing game didn't look good either. I mean, we have more proof in the pudding that the Virginia passing game has, they've done it, right? They did it last year. But change in the system didn't look so good in the in the spring game either. I, I strictly remember just one interception that, that Brendan Armstrong tried to throw it to the outside hash and just threw it right to the defender. It just, it did not look smooth, did not look good. I am very hesitant here. I'm hesitant, but I I can also see a path to success, right? When I was just putting notes here for Virginia, it I don't know if it was a specific boxer or or if it's just a boxing term in general, but it's it's where you got to plan until you get hit in the mouth, right? And Virginia's plan right now. Is to they want to be balanced? They want to run the football. Well, guess what? You have zero starters back on the offensive line. I think your probably defense might be you know decent to good, Um, but you know you're going to try to be balanced. Well, when you're down three touchdowns, you can't really be balanced anymore, right? So the 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 strength of this roster is in the passing game. And, and you'll talk about it too. So I can see a path to success, but I am just concerned about this OC change, the head coaching change in general. Uh, Des Kitchings, the offensive coordinator, when he was the play caller at NC State, the one year, 2019, they went four and eight, averaged 22 points a game. They did finish 19th in pace and averaged 39 passing attempts per game. So you get to get a bit of the good and bad, but it was not a successful stint as an offensive play caller. So I'm, I'm worried about this. Situation.
0: This is one for me where I don't like to put a lot of stock in the spring because of the transition, because we have a proven quarterback that has done it. We have a proven supporting cast there. You mentioned the problem with the offensive line. Most of the time, the inexperienced offensive line does lead to problems with running. UVA didn't run the ball well last year anyway. I do think you're right. We agree with that. I think UVA may say they want to be as you know two-dimensional as possible, but I think when it comes down to it, we're going to see an Armstrong throwing the ball 35-plus times per game, and which is why we you, you know we still have him ranked highly. You know th- They didn't look great in the spring. They're in a program in transition. But we know where the strength of the roster is. We know Armstrong's coming back. And we know the weapons that he has coming back. And they're all at receiver, right? I mentioned it. You've got Kemp. You've got Thompson. You've got Wicks. Um, and I even think they get uh, uh, Rashawn Henry, who came back from a couple of years ago, uh, that, that got hurt. So all Love the all strength –
1: Right, right.
0: Lavelle Davis. Lavelle Davis, not Rachel. Lavelle, that's, right, that's right, that's right. So uh, the strength with UVA is in the passing attack. And so I think if things do break down, like you mentioned, and their record's not great and their defense wasn't any good last year, so they could be improved this year, but improvement could be relative, right? And so we could see UVA still throw the ball a ton. The question is, are are we going to get the efficiency at which they did it last year? And I think that's really a big concern going into 2022 with uva's offense
1: yeah i would say too that i mean you, you mentioned the turnover on the offensive line how it, you know they're trying to be balanced but it, it, they might struggle in the run game well that could also affect i know brennan armstrong's a scrambler but you have a bad offensive line you don't want him running around with his head cut off either so um yeah i i'm just I have my reservations. If if Brennan Armstrong drops to a certain point in the draft, I think you just have to take him because uh, of, of you know, what he proved last year, but not a guy that I'm drafting in the first three rounds personally.
0: Well, it's interesting. The reason why we changed up the order of the teams that we're going in is because we're transitioning straight to Syracuse, where last year UVA's offensive coordinator, Robert A.N.A., landed, right? So he's now with Dino Babers at Syracuse. He inherits an offense and a running back in Sean Tucker that was just lights out last year. You've got Garrett Schrader who played really well from a fantasy standpoint. But the big question for you and I we have Schrader ranked high. Can he do what ANA needs him to do in that offense and keep that job as Syracuse's starting quarterback? isn't that the big question we have in 2022 with Syracuse
1: this year yeah it, it, it's definitely the biggest question obviously um i think the scheme change helps i think robert Aene, uh, na and i um he, he he's definitely he, he's a mastermind at, at at getting his quarterbacks uh into the best situations i think he, just to make some real easy throws, I think is is one of, uh, of his best attributes as an offensive play caller, whether that's just chucking it downfield like they did last year to Dontavian Wicks or finding Billy Kemp underneath. I think that scheme can help Garrett Schrader succeed this year, potentially. The other part of the dynamic is backup Justin Lamson, who looked really good in the spring, is injured. Now there's a little ambiguity as to what his injury is. Uh, I think it's a knee injury. I think it's potentially an ACL, but they're calling it undisclosed and out for an indefinite amount of time, right? So we don't have, you know, we don't have proof that he's going to be out for the season or long-term or or anything like that. But with Lampson out, I think that bodes more yeah. bodes well for Schrader having that job for the full season, which you know, we were kind of worried about with Lamson performing well in the spring.
0: Yeah. And let's 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 put a couple of other things under the spotlight or make some comparisons, right? Uh Ana's done some work with some really good quarterbacks. Remember what he did with Bryce Perkins and the fantasy factor that he made him at UVA? He did the same thing with Brendan Armstrong, right? So we have some examples of where he's done it with some quarterbacks and turned some guys into, you know, some fantasy factors. I think the other question, if there's a one B was how does he coming in affect Sean Tucker and his value? I think if, if nothing would have changed, all things considered at Syracuse, you and I probably would have Tucker ranked a little bit higher going into 2022 in a offense. He's only had one, 1000 yard back in his, in the history of his offense. And that was the first year he took over and inherited the offense over at BYU, where he inherited Jamal Williams. Now that might be the only 1000 yard back, but it also is an example of an offense that he inherited and may be tailored to the strength of his roster, which is where we can see things playing out this year over at Syracuse. And so if that is an example Uh, of what might happen over at Syracuse we could see where Sean Tucker would then be one of those top 12 15 backs in 2022 because one of the bigger questions that you and I debated back and forth is does Aene come in and adapt his style to his personnel or he's going to try to adapt his personnel to his system and we have to think with Tucker there and with the success they had last year that there's somewhat of a marriage between these two systems. And I do think we're going to see Sean Tucker will be a fantasy factor this year.
1: hundred percent agree. Um, I think it's just a matter of Virginia had trash running backs, <laughs> right? They didn't have a stud back there. So they had no, he had nobody to to give it to. I, I mean, I know you see, you know, looking back the last six, seven years, I think running back one average around 150 carries per year, but you know, when he had a decent to solid, running back in Jordan Ellis, those two years, he had back to back 200 carry seasons. So uh, I, I mean, it's, we might see a, a decrease in volume from Sean Tucker, but I think he easily crosses that, that 200 carry mark this year. And
0: and And simply it could play into the factor of just how good is Syracuse going to be. And it's something that you and I talk about. Is this a team that's going to be playing from behind or are they going to be playing out in front? Because if they're playing out, if they're playing from behind, you know we'll have to we'll have to see them throw the ball a little bit more if they if they you know if they're in every game then we're going to see Tucker get utilized more often.
1: Better hope that they're ahead because you don't want to see Garrett Trader throw it too much.
0: <laughs> well, look, Mike, we've got one more team here. Um, we've got the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, I um, I've got Cunningham as my QB one this season. I just think for what he has done over the course of the last two seasons and his consistency, what Louisville has coming back. Um, you know, th- they don't have a ton of proven depth at receiver, but they have some talent. They've got tight end, you know, depth coming, good tight end coming back. They've got a bevy of running backs. Um, the concern and question for me, isn't at Mikhail Hunt? Is it Michael Cunningham? It isn't at uh, uh, Malik Cunningham. What is it? What did I say? Malik Malik? It's Malik. Malik. It's yeah, Malik. I, I, He's changed it a few times. Yeah, well, just, yeah, exactly. Isn't, isn't Cunningham at quarterback? you and I have a lot of discussion about running back where they brought in Tyon Evans in from Tennessee. You've got what Trevion Cooley, who you like as arguably the most talented running back on the roster. And you've got Jalen Mitchell coming off a solid spring and last year's starter. Um where are you where is is that sort of you and I've talked about Louisville running back quite a bit, so I think we can kind of take a, a minute here and spend some time. Where, where are you seeing things shake out? Because when you look at the history of this offense, that running back one can really has really been productive here.
1: Twelve hundred yards and ten touchdowns over the last eight years under Satterfield, so. If he's going to find one this year, you better hope to identify him because obviously he's going to boom in this offense, especially with a quarterback like Malik Cunningham kind of, you know, uh, just in the backfield with them. So I am landing with Cooley right now. And part of the reason I do think he's the most talented back in that backfield, but again, this is a situation where put all your personal like biases aside and look at And read who is covering this team on a daily basis, and you got twenty four seven Sports, their top beat writer, and the Louisville Courier Journal top beat writer for Louisville, both stating in articles that Trayvon Cooley is the starter coming out of spring ball, right? Yeah, we I know Jalen Mitchell popped in the spring game. You see some preseason magazines projecting him as running back one, but we also saw him last year and he fluttered. He did not perform up to expectations. So I, I, I am completely not completely, but I'm personally dismissing him from, from potentially being the running back one. I think you look to the upstart and Cooley. I think he played well in the spring, uh, excuse me, the bowl game last year uh, to kind of cap off the season and I, that's who I'm sticking with personally. I think maybe you in, in some of our best balls where there's no transactions, maybe look to handcuff with a, a Tyon Evans or or even a, a Jalen Mitchell if that's suits your suits your fancy. But I, I'm sticking with Cooley here and and I, until I hear otherwise or or read otherwise, I should see, not here. Yeah. Um I'm I'm
0: sticking with Cooley here. And and this is where you and I got into some, you know, we kind of went back and forth because I was, uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of on the side of the fence that you bring in a big play guy like Tyon Evans, who I feel really can make this offense even more dynamic with Cunningham. I believe he's going to have a certain role in this offense. I like Louisville. I think their offense could be really good this year. The question is really: Are we going to get investment in a real running back one and see that heavy workload? I've got my fingers crossed for you with Cooley. I happen to think that Tyon Evans is going to have a significant role in this offense. But the one thing that I think you and I can both agree on is that we, you know, whatever happens, we could see a guy like Cunningham. You know, is he going to be? And this is obviously where my chips are all in. He's going to be more of that vulture inside the red zone, inside the five-yard line again. And really what makes Cunningham more of that quarterback one for me and a top three quarterback for us together, I think, is just the threat that he has running the ball and how consistent. You talked about the onset of the show, the consistency at quarterback. But when you have a consistency at quarterback that not only can throw the ball but can do it on the ground like Cunningham did last year, rushing for multiple touchdowns, in almost every single game on the schedule last year that really does wonders for your fantasy roster
1: four starters back on the ol um he reduced his interceptions to six last year which is very impressive and i was looking at this too i know this is your your thing but looking at the schedule right out of the gate you get at syracuse and then ucf and i i'm thinking over under in the seventies, potentially in those games, there's going to be shootouts because I think Syracuse and, and UCF
0: are going to put up points against Louisville. So should be fun right out of the gate. Yep. Well, look, we're out of the gate and we've had fun. We've all already done two shows, AAC and C and the ACC Mike. So, uh, you know, we're going to get, we've, we've still got a good bit to go, but this is a good start so far to the, the conference preview series. And so uh, that's about it. Just to remind everyone, uh, the discord's popping A lot of subscribers coming in, the fantasy draft guide, the preseason fantasy projections, all available on the site, head on over there, Uh, do what you got to do, get in now. And like Mike said uh, on the yesterday, on yesterday, on the AAC show, and and I touched on as well, the sooner you get in this, you know, the more you can see the process and the evolution of some of these guys moving up and down the rankings as we go throughout the summer, but that's going to be it. We're going to shotgun these shows, but that's it, Mike, we're done with the ACC. So, For Mike Bainbridge, my name's Joe DeSalvo. That's going to do it for another edition of the preseason preview series, the ACC. Until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next show.